0: Well, hello, and welcome to Friday Headlines. On these Friday Headlines episodes, we do things differently. On today's show, I'm offering up five need-to-know, environmental-leaning news stories for you. I'm gonna set expectations at the outset today. Our first two stories have to do with dead animals, 1,100 dead animals to be exact. And so let's start off with the dolphins. Perhaps you heard about it. Last week, more than 100 dolphins were found dead in the Brazilian Amazon amid a historic drought and record high water temperatures that in places exceeded 102 degrees Fahrenheit. The deaths of these 100 dolphins have prompted fears that rising global heat could be passing that tolerance threshold of species and vulnerable animals. The floating corpses of these dolphins, along with thousands of dead fish, appeared at Lake Tefe, where the temperature is now more like a hot water bath after the drought that dried up most of the water. Residents in this small Amazonian community described the scene as apocalyptic. A British researcher lives in the area, and he said, and I quote, The past month has seemed like a science fiction climate change scenario. To know that one has died is sad, but to see piles of carcasses, knowing that this drought has killed over 100, is a tragedy. End quote. Now let's talk about extreme heat in Brazil for a minute. As in other parts of the world, Brazil has suffered from unusually extreme weather in recent months. This is a consequence of human-caused climate change as well as it being an El Nino year. The level of the Amazon, which again is the world's largest river, has fallen by 30 centimeters each day over the past two weeks because of the drought. These freshwater dolphins are considered an indicator of the health of a river, which is vital for those who live along its banks. The Amazon dolphins are among only six existing freshwater dolphin species left in the world, though they used to be diverse and abundant. Daphne Williams of the World Wildlife Fund described the news of these dead dolphins as devastating. She said, and I quote, This extraordinary species is already endangered, so losing so many in such a short space of time is disastrous, end quote. We're moving on to our second story all about dead animals, and it's about 1,000 birds that died after striking a building in Chicago. Now, each year, millions of birds fly over Chicago during the fall migration season. They're flying south, right? And a number of them do die after being confused by bright lights or windows, trying to fly through windows. However, nearly 1,000 birds died outside of a convention center in Chicago last week, and it shocked people who have been monitoring birds in the city for decades At least 961 dead birds were found outside the McCormick Place Lakeside Center. And yes, this is the highest number of birds found dead in one day in over 40 years. So picture it. Picture 961 bird carcasses. That's a lot of birds. Now, why did this happen? How did this happen? What's the cause? Well, a large number of birds were migrating at night because their travel had been delayed by unfavorable weather. The day before, the temperature was unusually high, and the birds encountered a headwind. Now, when the temperatures dropped and the wind shifted, a huge number of birds took advantage of these improved conditions and flew over Chicago. But since the birds were traveling at night, they were confused by the lights and the windows, which they don't know that they can't fly through. Now, I should say this is not a new problem. Between 365 million and 988 million birds are killed annually by striking buildings in the US, and that's according to a 2014 study. But this high concentration, at least 961 birds all in a pile, this should emphasize how important it is for buildings to turn off their lights During bird migration season, windows that are less reflective or more opaque could also be safer for birds. Now, the Chicago Autobahn Society does have a program. It's called Lights Out Chicago, in which building owners are encouraged to turn off or dim decorative lights. And so if you work in an office building in a city, Perhaps the time is now for you to inquire as to whether your building has a bird-friendly policy and if it's following that policy. So we're moving on. We have time for a quick story before our break. I promise our stories after the break are a bit more optimistic. So quick story before the break has to do with e-bikes. For my longtime listeners, you may have heard Electric e-bike. They were a sponsor on the show. Electric bikes, they are becoming more common on city streets, but they're not cheap, are they? The the electric bike, for example, was at least $1,700, and electric did not offer all of you in their sponsorship a promo code. So not surprisingly, y'all didn't go out and buy $1,700 electric bikes, and so electric, the company, pulled that sponsorship out because it wasn't converting. Left me with a lot of ad spots, but hey, they gotta lower the price of these bikes. They're expensive, right? I can't afford a $1,700 bike, heck no. But so the problem is, right? Electric bikes, they are better for the planet, certainly, than gas-guzzling cars. However, they're expensive. And so the good news here is that Places across the United States are rolling out programs to make e-bikes more accessible to lower income residents. Thank the Lord. Cities from Tampa to Berkeley, as well as states such as Connecticut, Rhode Island, they have launched programs that help get e-bikes into the hands of people who couldn't otherwise afford them. Because again, they're at least over a thousand dollars. As of this recording, there are more than 60 active e-bike incentive programs across the U.S. I will link to a database of e-bike incentive programs if, on the off chance, you're interested in perhaps taking advantage. But these incentive programs vary in their incentives, obviously, but in general, they offer between $1,500 and $2,000 in vouchers or rebates for income-qualifying applicants. So again, I'm linking to the database of e-bike Incentive Programs in this week's show notes if you wanna check it out. We are going to go ahead and take our ad break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about rewilding in Norway. What on earth is rewilding? How's it working in Norway? We're gonna talk about all of that. It's good news after a quick sponsor break. So many of us have chaotic closets that are crammed full of clothing items, and yet somehow we still have nothing to wear. Well, upgrading to high-quality and affordable pieces from Quince when you need them is a game-changer. They offer organic cotton sweaters and washable silk tops. My 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters are my go-to. Not only are they affordable, but the quality is top-notch. Create a home that reflects your commitment to the environment. Visit HomeThreads.com slash sustainable and get a code for 15% off your first order. HomeThreads.com slash sustainable. Love where you live. And we're back. Before the break, we talked about an awful lot of dead animals. We also talked about e-bike incentive programs. Now we're on to some good news, and it has to do with how rewilding is going in Norway. Now, before we talk about Norway, let's talk about rewilding. What on earth is rewilding? Well, rewilding essentially means letting nature take over. It moves away from centuries of managing land, for human need, and restores areas to their natural and uncultivated state. Sometimes we hear about rewilding in terms of lawns, people who, you know, let their lawns go wild, maybe plant some wildflowers and just let nature take over. That's rewilding. In 2021, the United Nations warned that existing conservation efforts were insufficient to prevent widespread biodiversity loss and ecosystem collapse. And therefore, this is according to the UN, the world must rewild and restore an area the size of China to meet commitments on nature and the climate. So (laughs) we need to be rewilding land at a gigantic, ginormous scale, the size of China, okay? And Norway is doing its part the Norwegian government has just completed the largest rewilding project in its history. On the Arctic island of Svalbard, polar bears, reindeer, arctic fox, and many seabirds are now moving back into the island's mining town, which has been used for mining operations for the last 100 years. Now, this mining town on this island, it's nestled in a remote fjord. Before it was closed, it had its own power station, wharf, water supply, and everything else it needed to house 300 workers and run mining operations on the large scale. But in 2017, the Norwegian parliament decided to wind down its mining operations of coal and clear the area to return it to its natural state. Almost all traces of human activity since mining began there in 1910 have been removed with the exception of three red houses and a couple other cultural monuments. All good news, right? We're rewilding while also closing down coal mining areas. Love it. Now, even better news is this rewilding project came in massively under budget, $230 $230 million was budgeted for the project, but it came in at the end of the day at only $83 million. One more piece of good news here, too. This island of Svalbard, it has seven national parks and 23 nature reserves, and that, with the rewilding of the town, officially makes it one of the world's most well-conserved island ecosystems in the Arctic. So good job, Norway. And now we're on to our final story today, which is all about that place in which eco friendliness and minimalism combine. Apparently, the popularity of oversized McMansions may be waning. A recent report revealed that consumers are moving away from such opulent homes in favor of ones that are more streamlined and simpler. 52% of Respondents to this survey said they want a smaller home, 81% they said they wanted a simpler style and design, and 57% said their top priority was quiet and seclusion. Now, for this report, numerous realtors were also interviewed, and realtors said by and large that their clients are generally looking for smaller homes than in previous years. Realtors also noted that clients are looking for smaller yards, which means less maintenance. Now, Of course, in addition to less maintenance and lower upkeep costs, there are likely other reasons that buyers prefer smaller homes. One of the realtors interviewed, her name is Maureen McDermott, she said that her clients, in general, desire to have less of an environmental impact. They want the lower energy costs. They also want space to grow their own food. They also want to drive less. In terms of neighborhoods, buyers these days, it seems like they're looking for easy access to outdoor recreation like parks, bodies of water, bike lanes. They don't want to be tied to the big house and the maintenance that goes along with it. They want to be outside enjoying life and while doing so having a smaller environmental impact. So how relatable to what we discuss every day on this show Speaking of this show, next week, next Tuesday, we're covering the concept of comfort creep. I'm really excited about Tuesday's episode. I must say I put an awful lot of effort into it, so I hope you enjoy it. I will see you on Tuesday for that episode. As always, reach out if you need me. This show is made for you. It is your show, so tell me what you need. Tell me what you want more of. Tell me what you want less of. I'm here for you. I'll see you Tuesday. Have an amazing weekend and take care.